Welcome back, literary slummers, to another episode of Hate Read. I'm Em. And I'm Anna. Every fortnight here on Hate Read, one of us normally challenges the other to read a book that we think she'll hate. But for this episode, we actually had a, a listener recommend a read to us that they thought we would both hate. Mm. And that read was Moon People by Dale M. Courtney. Now you to have to do the, our listener Emily. the full title because this is only the first book of the Moon People saga. So it's Moon oh, People. Excuse me. Age of Aquarius. The Age of Aquarius. Yes. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> Which really comes up so mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. in this book. For sure. <laughs> yes. So thank you, Emily, for suggesting this. this wonderful <laughs> suggestion. And I guess I have to ask both of us, did we manage to finish this grade A piece of literature? Yes, I did finish. It was only 80 pages. So if it had been much longer, I might not have finished because it was just, it it just was. How about you? I also finished it um, and was very happy to finish it because that meant I could be done with it forever. Uh, I will not be pursuing no. sequels, uh, and I feel like a different person having accomplished this feat. Before we get into the um, kind of actual story, I guess, do you want to real quick talk about just kind of like the history of this book? Yeah, I don't know. I, I couldn't find much mm-hmm. about it other than because I googled like, is this for real? Yeah. And... I think the general consensus is yes. Yeah. It's a self-published book that they, I think the author published um, one book a year, Mm -hmm. um, but didn't really have a huge following. I think it was discovered by someone on the Something Awful forums Mm -hmm. and they brought it to the internet's attention. Um, But I don't think this person was attention seeking. I think they just wrote what could some people might call a book. I don't know. <laughs> I actually don't know if people would because I think it doesn't fit like the qualification for a novel in terms of like word count. I'm pretty sure. Mm, um, but that is a short fiction. Yeah, like a short fiction, you know. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much that was what I found as well that he, because I, I was also like you, I was interested to know if this was actually this is the thing like a lot of the times when it's this this level of bad which i would put of the books we've read Mm -hmm. i would put this in the same category as antigua i'd put it in the same category as handbook for mortals and i would probably throw that beatrice Mm -hmm. sparks book in there too um in terms of just really bad (laughs) writing where it's just not yes good and usually this is a whole new well and i was gonna say usually when you have one of those cases you can kind of understand the person behind it a little bit, right? Like Beatrice Sparks, she wanted to write propaganda. Like, I got it. It was very clear. Yes. Like, cool. Uh, Lanny Sarum of Handbook for Mortals, she, you know, you you research into it and you find out, oh, she has all this stuff about this movie that she was trying to get made, (laughs) which was insane, but whatever, it's fine. Uh, Even Antigua, like, because of the reaction of the authors after that book came out and got the backlash where like they were attacking people and like saying, Oh, you know, no, it is a good book. Oh, it is a good book. It's like, no, they really think that this was well written. I, 
I don't know what Dale Court Dale M. Courtney's deal is. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know either. I don't know. Like, I went into it. I, like, read his, like, bios. He's had, like, a couple that have changed on Amazon. They're pretty wild. Go, you know, give them a read if you haven't. But. Oh, I haven't. Oh, my I'll gosh. Have Let me. Well. Let me pull it up because I don't want to turn this into attacking Dale M. Courtney because I don't know Dale M. Courtney aside from his Twitter, which I also got into. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let oh. me find the most the most recent one because it's interesting. So his current bio that's on Amazon, this is what it reads. Political troubleshooter and strategist, also foreign diplomat, consultant on foreign policies and economics, advisor to two presidents, President Bush and President Obama, in bipartisan way, helped since 2007, promoter of world economic equality and world peace, astrologer, self-taught chiropractor, clout score of 54, avid fisherman. So I'm trying to do this without laughing or presenting commentary. Please let me get through this. I'm sorry. Avid fisherman, scuba diver, love boats and water, writer of three books, I hope to become film one day, called Moon People Trilogy, member of the Republican Party, which, okay. <laughs> oh my god, I just found so my There's a lot to unpack there. And at that point, I thought, he, this is fake. This man is not real. This is, this is not real. Yeah. Because like, this is crazy nonsense. Like a Chuck Tingle kind of thing. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go, like, I I kept looking for more biographies, like more info on him, pictures of him. Like I was doing like Google image searches in order to see if that author photo is real or if he stole that from someone, like what the deal is. Couldn't find anything. The only thing I could turn up was his Twitter page, which is the thing that led me to believe that he is real. Because while there is, if you scroll down far enough, a lot of stuff that I would expect to see on someone making like a parody account of a certain type of like mega supporter situation it's if Mm -hmm. you scroll down like real real far several months and for the last several months the only thing on his twitter is his horoscope which he retweets every day and i just can't see a troll (laughs) going to that level of dedication and also like inanity like that's nothing like no one would do that that doesn't heighten the thing you know so like no yeah i mean yeah so i'm like i'm pretty sure he's for real this is his real situation and he wrote this honestly <sighs> and like without uh irony which is upsetting yeah i again i don't want to be insulting to the author mhm but because I don't know him. Yeah, exactly. I don't know him. I just how do you go so wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In everything without it being a joke. Well, there have been a couple of theories that people have posted online because that this is the thing. This like you mentioned, it got, you know, found by internet people and it blew up. A few like a few years ago, it was like I think in 2012 was when it kind of started getting traction. But mm-hmm. so so people have theorized like what's his deal? And kind of one of the theories I saw a lot was that this was dictated to someone or that he's used to writing things for speeches, like that maybe that's what he did as a like political advisor that he supposedly was, was that he like Uh wrote like very rough drafts of speeches because like a lot of the stuff 
the errors in this book are things that would you could make if you were writing stuff down and were like hearing things phonetically. So that's one theory. I don't think it really covers all of the craziness that's in this book. Um, no. And there's nothing in the biographies that he's provided, you know, what the limited one paragraph biographies he's provided that would indicate that that's the case. But um, yeah, it's, it's one explanation. Yeah, that's, I, I guess it would make sense if it was dictated or done like text or speech to text, mm-hmm. I guess, because there are a lot of very interesting spelling errors yeah. uh, that are both hilarious and painful at the same time. It's <laughs> like this, there's apostrophes everywhere. Right, right. <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff that has spaces in it that shouldn't have spaces in it and homonyms and things like that. Um and question marks. Question abound. marks. Uh, yeah, just question marks for some reason. But honestly, and all of that is... Dialogue... Oh, yeah, yeah. The the dialogue written by someone who has, like, maybe never seen a book before. Right, and doesn't know how to format dialogue. Which So, again, like, that would almost make sense is, like, he dictated it, but then it would have to be, like, the worst speech-to-text program ever or, like, a, a the person writing it down would have had to never have seen a book so like it it just doesn't make sense yeah (laughs) but um all of that even aside from all the I I, you could just say oh you're just nitpicking grammar stuff nothing a good copy editor wouldn't fix Mm. first off the Mm -hmm. grammar the grammar stuff is like egregious like you you guys know we don't we don't I don't think we spend too much time picking at spelling and grammar errors, like only when it's something that's like really insane. This entire book was crazy levels of spelling grammar errors. Yes. But even all of that aside, this book was bananas. And not even, I would say (laughs) not even like almost not even in a fun way. Right. Like, no, like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm talking so much. I'm sorry, but I, I'm a, you know, I'm a person no, who no, likes to hate read stuff. Sometimes I like to hate watch stuff like the room all about yeah, it. Absolutely. This was I feel like we like to hate live. Sometimes. Yeah. A little bit, <laughs> <laughs> but this book was like, sometimes it was fun. Like it was a, you know, like a book that you could do a sporking on, but like most of the time, no, it was just like, really hard to read and I didn't understand what was going on Mm. and I also didn't care yes that was the big thing it's just like though this book was uh billed as action packed p-a-c-t from the very beginning (laughs) there was very little action whatsoever (laughs) yeah uh so I guess we should get into the plot of this and I'm gonna tell you guys right now I'm doing the plot for this one I know, right? I'm doing the plot for this one, and um, I didn't take notes. I just made a list of things that Dale M. Courtney doesn't understand. Like, that was my notes for this book. Um, (laughs) So we'll see how this goes. Oh, gosh. We start. Well, first we get a letter from Dale M. Courtney is the thing that opens this book. That's the (laughs) author. Um, Telling us everything that's (laughs) going to happen in this book. Everything. Which is a choice. Everything. That's a choice. And he We could have stopped there. I didn't even realize. We could have. 
I mean, literally nothing is added to the story from this synopsis that is at the start of the story. (laughs) But we get into it. We proceed. So we open. And here's the thing. Actually, I can't say here's the thing. So and when we start, I actually was kind of digging the style for about like five sentences. I was like, okay, okay, yeah, this is like some like minimalist. No, like, listen, okay. Do you mean like the first sentences of the first chapter? The first, like, the first chapter. Okay. Up into the line at the moment Cheryl is preparing her restaurant for another shuttle launch. Okay, let's read that. Let's read. This story, this story begins on a beautiful sunny day in Daytona Beach, Florida, with a man by the name of David Bramer, a 45-year-old single man that works at the high, excuse me, a 45-year-old single man that works at the local high school as a science teacher. He also teaches astronomy in the 12th grade level. Now he has been here about five years and has become somewhat partial to a young lady by the name of Cheryl Baskell, a local restaurant owner in Daytona Beach, Florida. It, Cheryl is spelled C-H-E-R-A-L. At the moment, Cheryl is preparing her restaurant for another shuttle launch at the Cape. Okay, so up till that, it seems like, like that bit, it's like, oh, it's very straightforward, like stating facts, stating facts. Oh, but here's a twist. There's a shuttle launch. Now you know it's sci-fi. Like, I thought that was a pretty good sci-fi intro of like, everything is normal. Oh, wait, it's Uh sci-fi. Like, but then. As it went on, I realized that wasn't like a stylistic choice. That's just uh, how he writes. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> everyone always gathers at her place because you can see the launch real good there. It is on the water and it's real close to the Cape. She always decks the place out right before a launch too. Now David always goes, and we can't just read the whole book. I'm sorry. <laughs> We can't. We, we should. We as can't. much as I would love to, we um, cannot just go on and read. Something. So yeah. So <laughs> we're we're in this world where David uh, Bramer is, as we said, a forty-five year old former. We find out later, former uh, government researcher of UFOs. So okay. And <laughs> he quit that because he didn't like the job that much because he was always bored. And went to teach uh, science so at a high school. Much less boring. Much less boring. <laughs> there, he lives in a town <laughs> where they're doing shuttle launches. And we get all this stuff about how like the, sh- the shuttle launches have had some problems. But there's another one coming up. Nothing comes of the fact that the shuttle launches have had problems. <laughs> like that never comes up again. Or the fact that he's super worried that it's Halloween right. when the launches are happening. They keep saying, I'm so scared because we're launching and on like, Halloween. And like, number one, then just I'm don't. nervous too, David. And then it just went fine. It's fine. It has nothing to do with anything. But then we get like a whole big info dump about everything to do with these shuttles and none of it matters. So don't worry about it. Okay. So inciting incident. David is driving into work or to the restaurant or something. And he hears a radio announcement um, about how there is a meteor headed for maybe Earth. And everyone is very concerned, but the, the, repro- the reporter tells everyone, don't, don't panic about it. And he goes into the restaurant and is like, hey, guys, did you hear about the meteor? And they're like, oh, no, and turn on the news and are like, oh, my gosh, a meteor. 
repeats um, all the information we just and repeats read. all the information we just got. But this time we get uh, David and Cheryl have a little flirt together, um, and they haven't talked in like the twenty years that he's been going in there or whatever. But suddenly, because he told them to turn on the TV, she like notices him and is like, "Oh, hey, you're pretty cute. Do you want to go on a date?" Essentially. <laughs> so they plan for a date. <laughs> and <laughs> in the meantime, NASA calls him. <laughs> well, after he gets to work, NASA yeah, calls him at work. his work. He goes to work, NASA calls him, and um, offers him a job. Because t- <laughs> I can't. I can't. Because he's the best at what he does. No, they don't even know that. They ask him if he's still in astrology or or astronomy or astrology. I can't remember because they're kind of use astronomy. They ask him if he's still active in astronomy. So they don't even know if he's good at what he does anymore. But But, he also says he's been into astrology for about 20 years. Like that's a job qualification. Yeah, there's. Yes. That's why I'm getting confused about which one they, they're impressed by, because both, Astronomy I guess. Astronomy is the science. Astrology is horoscopes. Okay. But they ask him if he's still in active in the field of astronomy, and astronomy. he's like, yeah, I'm a teacher. And they're like, okay, good. Two of our scientists had a car accident. Okay, and are like, here's the thing about that. It happens twice. It happens twice. The person that they say is in a car accident, I just want to get your opinion on this, because they have an expert on the news Uh whose name is Herbert Larson. Okay. And then NASA calls and says, our head astronomer, Herbert Lawson, was in an automobile accident. (laughs) Are they the same person? It's a typo. Two different men. And if it is the same person... When did he get in a car accident that allowed him to be on the news but not able to do his job at NASA? I am 100% certain that it is supposed to be the same person. And my evidence for this is as follows. (laughs) Dale M. Courtney included not one but two characters who share the same last name as him. So I do not think he can keep (laughs) last names straight. (laughs) They're brother and sister, though. Doesn't matter. You don't do that. Like, what are you doing? Also, but can I also say that the one, the female character that has the last name as him, same last name, her name mm-hmm. is Lieutenant Courtney, um, is the love interest in the second book. I was shocked she didn't become the love interest in this one, honestly, so that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> After the way the first love interest was treated, I was oh my God. very surprised that David did not get all up in Heather while they were on the space station. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. We're going to spend way more time talking about this book than Taylor It's going to take us longer to talk it, about so. it than it did to write. Yeah. So, David gets this call from NASA because Herbert Larson Lawson and his assistant were in an automobile accident and are in pretty bad shape. But we're still on the news. Maybe they recorded the news. It was a pre-recorded urgent message. Uh, so, so they need to fill their positions immediately. And the, 
the person, the first person they thought to fill this position was this former UFO expert who's good at astrology and is currently a science teacher. (laughs) Because no other humans exist, I guess. No other scientists are this good at astrology, Em. (laughs) So David's like, I don't know, man. I'm not sure. I gotta go teach class. BRB. I gotta go teach this class. So... He goes into class, and everyone's like, Mr. Bramer, or Professor Bramer, Professor Bramer, which, like, he's not a professor. He's a high school teacher, like, so that's incorrect. It's fine. Correct, yeah. But, (laughs) Professor Bramer, did you hear about this, uh, the uh, meteor? So, he busts out his telescope. (laughs) It's called Zeus. (laughs) Which talks and is named Zeus. And also... (laughs) Makes me think that Dale and Courtney doesn't know how telescopes work. Because, because he says... Because he says... <laughs> he says it's a special telescope that, that works during the day. All telescopes work during the day. It's just that it's day and you don't see stars you during can't the day. Because that's now, how now, light works. Um, he says... When you use it in the daytime, it mixes with our Hubble 7 satellite telescope in space. That's how it zooms in so close and so clear. I understand that, Anna, and I'm offended that you think that I do not understand how Zeus works. But my point is that before we get that, he says it's a special telescope that works during the day, which all telescopes work during the day. Just not to look at stars. You need to, if you're going to say something that ridiculous, you need to clarify it works to see stars during the day. That's what you mean. What are you doing? I'm inventing a new, t- it's 2048, M, first of all. I've invented a new telescope that when I look through it, it's nighttime. But also, I'm because looking it through merges. the Hubble 7 at the, I'm looking through the Hubble 7 at the same time. Uh, and those why do you even need I'm the telescope having. on the ground then? Why well, I don't know. Just, why isn't it just a computer that like is attached to the Hubble telescope? Why do you need this bullshit other telescope? Well, how will the telescope? How will the how will the computer know what I'm pointing at? Em? It's hooked up to a chalkboard. <laughs> the it's hooked up to a chalkboard computer monitor. I can't. I can't. This is real serious astrology happening. Please stop laughing. <laughs> okay. So he hooks up Zeus, the telescope, talks and sees during the day. Be- and here, because he does this because <laughs> he's like, NASA, do- NASA don't know about this meteor. I'm going to study it from my chalkboard. I thought and he was I'm- just like, oh, it would be cool to see it. Well, I don't remember, actually. <laughs> I think originally he was like, it would be cool to see it. And then he's like oh, let's do some calculations, which also this telescope that a high school science teacher can buy apparently does better calculations than NASA, I guess. Um, And it calculates a bunch of stuff that's inconsistent with NASA's stuff, um, except for the fact that it's 10 kilometers in diameter, which is a thing that gets repeated so much in this book. Yeah, um, it's not a, it's not just some stupid little fact we remembered off the top of our heads. It is the most important fact about this meteor. It's, it's, it gets said so many times. 
Um, that and uh, um, the word sexy and big smile. Oh. Oh, um, and there was one other sex. one. <laughs> but sexy, big smile. I just choked on my laughter. Uh, yeah, she gave him a funny but sexy look. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So they, they do these calculations. Zeus does these calculations. They realize NASA's wrong. And then he's like, well, maybe we should see... Or the class is like, we should see if it's going to hit Earth. Because I guess this telescope is able to do that and NASA couldn't. And David's like, no, I don't think we should because people might panic. And people can die in a panic. I'm like, I guess. <laughs> they can also die if a uh, meteor hits them, but this is fine. Right. Like, we should probably figure it out. <laughs> but the class is like, no, we promise we won't tell anybody if this meteor is going to hit us. Which, okay, that's... They super promise. <laughs> they super promise. So they run the... the um, they, they run the calculations, Zeus does, and find that the meteor will not collide with a planet, but there's a 94% possibility that it will collide with a star. Oh my gosh, it's going to explode the sun, you guys. Yes. And I, I know we're reading a lot of quotes on this book, but... <laughs> this is the most quotable book. Okay, listen very carefully, class. If you if you hereby pledge to this class and to God that you will not tell anyone what we find out in this class about the meteor, period, I will ask Zeus that question. Remember, class, don't say anything about what you have heard. David said, "People can die panicking." Um. So, oh meteor's gonna God. explode the sun. So David decides that he will go take the NASA job. So he calls them up and he's like, I will take this NASA job. And they're like, great, we need you and your astrological expertise. So <laughs> he goes to work at NASA and he meets. He just like drives up to NASA. Yeah, he just drives up to NASA. To work. Well, they mentioned in one of the giant info dumps, they mentioned that, which I, you know, read some of them. It skipped some of them, but I happen to read this one. They mentioned that NASA has grown so much in the last few years and they've started putting up like satellite campuses I guess so like I guess there's just like a NASA in every city like the way that there's a lot of like centers for disease control sort of things yeah. like I think it's like it's that just sort like of deal in a strip mall <laughs> yeah essentially. next to next to next to a uh, what are they called uh oh never mind it was laser craze and I can't remember I was gonna say that smoothie place what is it not John smoothie Juice, king but... yeah smoothie king Okay, <laughs> let's come at this again. It's in a strip mall, you know, right next to a Smoothie King. LOL. <laughs> uh, yeah. Got him. <laughs> so he drives up to the Smoothie King. And <laughs> he meets his um, new uh, subordinate, Mr. Kim Moon. And <laughs> Moon people, Kim Moon. Okay. Again, another reason why I think that that name switch up was the same person. I, uh, if you're going to title your book Moon People, maybe you shouldn't have one of your characters named Mr. Moon because <laughs> I'm going to assume that's he's one of the, the moon people, people that the book about. is about. <laughs> I was like, oh god, this is going to be some racist shit where this guy turns out to be an actual alien, isn't it? But that isn't the racist shit that happened. It was a totally different type of racist shit. <laughs> so Mr. Kim Moon, who is his assistant and who I'm sure 
And also, Kim has an assistant named Martin, and I'm sure both of them were thrilled that this high school science teacher got this job <laughs> before them and is now in charge of them when they have presumably been working at NASA for like 20 years. It's fine. Lives. It's fine. <laughs> so they go and they're studying the meteor and the meteor like suddenly disappears and everything's fine. They're like, oh, <laughs> emergency over. Whew. Yes, we're fine then. <laughs> Dodge that bullet. In the meantime, <laughs> David gets another call from, I think, a different guy, but I can't remember, um, but still within NASA, asking mm-hmm. him if he wants to get another new job, which is to be the captain, <laughs> to be the first <laughs> science officer, to be the Spock. <laughs> To be the Spock, which is, again, not a thing that we're just saying. It's a thing that gets referenced several times in this book. Yep. But he gets to go be the Spock on the shuttle, not the shuttle. The lunar base, yes. They have to take the shuttle to the lunar base. So he's going to go do that. And they're like, do you want this job? And he's like, eh, maybe. And then he says this, which is on my list of things that Dale and Courtney doesn't know as what the word always means. He says, I've always wanted to do something like this. I was offered this a couple years ago, but I turned it down. I didn't (laughs) think it was for me. What? (laughs) I also died laughing at that the first time. However, I never in a thousand years thought that I would ever do it for real. Okay. So like you were already offered this job. So how did you not consider that you might do it? Number one. Number two, if you always wanted to do it, how was it that two years ago you didn't think it was for you? What are you talking about? (laughs) David. (laughs) God damn. Get your house in order, David. So David's not sure if he wants to take this job. The meteor disappears. Also, it's like a 10-year commitment. Oh, yeah, because they're going up to space and, like, they won't be able to come back for 10 years, so. Yeah, they're going to Mars and then one of Saturn's moons. Yeah, and we get told that a lot, too. Yeah. Um, so he, he piddle farts about this for several pages about whether or not he wants to do it. Um, and then he goes on a date with Cheryl, which was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so first off, first off... We get a, a little discussion with Cheryl about whether or not he should do it. Uh-huh. And Cheryl seems pro. So David decides to take the job. He calls and takes the job. And mm-hmm, finds mm-hmm. out that essentially they're, like, leaving in, like, a day. Or two days. Something like that. Um, a couple days. So he's like, okay. Cool. Guess I'll get everything in order. So... He goes to, I'm trying to think if in the order, if he does the, well, it doesn't really matter. I think he goes on the date with Cheryl before school, right? Uh, no, he, well, he goes back to school and he says goodbye to everyone. And then I think he goes on okay. the date. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he goes to the school and he says goodbye to all of his friends, which I guess are these high school seniors, um, to this 45 <laughs> year old man. All his best friends. Like he says specifically, I'm going to go say goodbye to all my friends. But like, we never get like him saying goodbye to like another teacher or the janitor or a lunch lady. It's just the kids. 
Like, <laughs> David, those aren't your friends. Those are your students. We need to have a talk about boundaries. Uh, they're, they are they are made a pledge David. to him. <laughs> they make a pledge to him. <laughs> so then he goes on his date with Cheryl. and To Red Lobster. He, to Red Lobster. Which is fine. That's fine. Red Lobster is fine. I'm not trying to shame Red Lobster lovers. No, Cheddar Bay Biscuits are awesome, man. They're great. But the way this is presented, he's like, oh, I was thinking maybe Red Lobster, but I don't even know if you like seafood. As if, like, there aren't other options at Red Lobster because it is a chain restaurant that is designed to cater to literally any human that walks through its doors. Yes. (laughs) But then... she's like oh no that's fine I love Red Lobster I haven't eaten there in like a year but I love Red Lobster and then they go to Red Lobster and they're like that was the most fantastic meal I'm like is this was this book paid for by Red Lobster what's happening (laughs) Red Lobster sponsorship uh no I can't think of an ad off the top of my head we've got Cheddar Bay Biscuits I think is it (laughs) you know what they don't have on the moon Cheddar Bay Biscuits. So come on down to Red Lobster. Endless shrimp. Endless shrimp. That's a thing. Oh, yeah. Bottomless, endless shrimp and um, lots of butter. I don't know. The commercials. I've I've, never been to Red Lobster, guys. I I also have never been to Red Lobster. Maybe we should go to Red Lobster. I hear the food is fantastic. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Michael read somewhere that it is the most favored restaurant chain restaurant chain of millennials huh so clearly we should uh, go or i guess there aren't that many chain restaurants that millennials go to and we shouldn't go i don't know well but that's the thing though i go to a lot of chain restaurants like most places mm-hmm. i because so again no shade to chain restaurants like no most places i go are chain restaurants like mainly because i'm lazy and don't want to figure out how to drive somewhere that i'm unfamiliar with so i just go to the same <laughs> places that i have eaten at for the last 20 years like but I you know I'm fine with chain restaurants it's just really weird (laughs) they're so into Red Lobster in 2048 it is the only restaurant also it's like the worst date place you could go because then your breath is gonna stink of lobster all night that's true lobster and garlic aren't oysters an aphrodisiac (laughs) are they getting oysters at Red Lobster (laughs) I don't think so, do you? <laughs> but also, like, they're in Daytona, Florida. Isn't hmm. there better seafood? Yeah, I'm, I mean, you would think, right? Like, again. We're really judging David not, and like, Cheryl Hardcore for this date choice. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, if they were in, like, where we are in the Midwest, where seafood is not necessarily abundant um, or easy to get, like, you might go to Red Lobster because there just aren't that many seafood places around. Mm-hmm. But like you're in Florida, homie. Like what are you doing? <laughs> you can do a little better probably. You can and she owns a restaurant. <laughs> like, what's happening? She assumably doesn't sell seafood. I don't know. I right, right. I'm not saying they should go to her restaurant. I'm saying she should have higher standards as someone in the food. Oh yeah. Industry. She should want to Sell us uh, support a fellow local business. Yeah, right. Anyway, <laughs> it, so they go to Red Lobster. 
<laughs> the reason small businesses are failing, Cheryl. They they <laughs> love Red Lobster, and then they kiss, and then passionately for about a minute, and then stopped. <laughs> Direct quote for the book. Yes, they kissed passionately for about a minute and then stopped. Um, they <laughs> discuss the fact that he's leaving for 10 years to go to space, which also seems like a fake thing someone would say to me <laughs> if they just wanted to hook up and <laughs> didn't want to pay well, for another Red Lobster date. <laughs> tomorrow I leave for space for 10 years. <laughs> tomorrow I leave for space for 10 years. I'm going to Saturn's moons. <laughs> so... They decide that they'll go ahead and bang, which they do multiple times. And a lot. it's great. And they have a great time. And he's going to miss her so much. And she's going to call him in space, I guess. On um, his cell phone at any time. Which was very confusing. Like, that was very jarring to me because honestly, most of this felt like something someone in the 1950s wrote about, like, the future. And then I remembered, like, <laughs> no, this was written in the 2000s. <laughs> Yeah, 2008. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he goes, he, they, his, they, his Motorola Razor to space. <laughs> they, <laughs> the pink one. They pledge, yes, of course. They pledge to, um, to call each other, which they never do. And we never hear about Cheryl ever again in this book. She could have died for all we know. So I'm so glad that we'd spent literally the first half of this book on all of this. (laughs) Like you could have just not done this and had him have him be a science officer who's going to space and not bother with the first half of this book. Granted, then this book would be 40 pages long, but that would be for the better. (laughs) So David goes back to NASA and gets in the shuttle. There's some more bullshitting around about him exploring the shuttle and whatever. And finally, the shuttle gets into space and they launch into space. Um, Yay. They're in space. It's very nice. And honestly, this is kind of the point where the plot just... the There is a long section here where stuff is happening, but nothing's happening. So it's just like him dicking around on the space shuttle. Or the yeah, getting the base tours, once they get to the base. Staring out the window at the Earth. Thinking how beautiful the, the Earth is. Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so he finally gets to the base, and he works at his job there, and they see a object 10 kilometers in diameter <laughs> hiding behind Pluto's moon, I think. Yep, just uh, creeping back just there. Creeping back there. And they're like, how could it have gotten here so fast? It couldn't be a meteor. Oh, it's aliens. Okay. So they go <laughs> to talk to these aliens, slash maybe murder these aliens. Defending. Yep, they're not sure yet. They get all their weapons ready, which, okay. If why do they have all of these weapons? Like they didn't know about aliens until this moment. They were, like, so prepared for, for aliens and they really war were. with the aliens, but they didn't know about aliens until right now. <laughs> like, why did they have yeah, these weapons? Yeah, they thought they were alone in the universe. Yeah. Like, why mm-hmm. would you? And they say, like, they're like, oh, bring your guns. Get this. Everybody, like, load up. Like, they're, like, going to go out and shoot the aliens. I'm like, were you guys just asking for a spaceship mutiny? Because that's what you're going to get. <laughs> like, that's what's going to happen with this kind of 
level of preparedness where you just bring a million guns for no reason. They're going to become space also, pirates. Also, there is just no concept of like how much effort it takes to get things into space with this book because they're just like, yeah, we have a shopping mall up here. We have chickens <laughs> just for fun. Someone brought a puppy. Like, okay, whatever. Great. It's 2048 and anything can happen. It's 2048. You can bring as many puppies as you want to space. <laughs> we have unlimited resources in space. All the puppies. On, our, on this 10-year journey. Space puppies 2048. <laughs> so. Um, and also, along with the weapons, the ship has very good shields. Oh, um, right. David <laughs> asks, well, sir, I was wondering if we had any kind of shield, sir, like on Star Trek. <laughs> And the Admiral says that they do have shields. They are, it's a liquid that, that is coating the outside of the space station, but the cold of space makes it turn into four inches of steel, which, I don't know, if you're shooting lasers at each other, I don't think four inches of steel is going to do much. Um, but maybe that's just me. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Uh, and also how do they ever also turn the part, them off if the shields are activated by space they're constantly in space yeah i don't know well because they have the no no they do explain that because they have the the burners that heat the liquid back back up when it needs to be liquid oh my god so this spaceship <laughs> is just encased by a giant grill <laughs> which is also presumably powered by something so you had to bring like energy to power your spaceship grill which heats up (laughs) your magic liquid that when you want to which doesn't float away into space by the way it's just somehow on your ship it's just there i guess gravity but also the gravity in the ship sometimes doesn't work which they explained which doesn't make sense they're like sometimes some of the gravity works and sometimes some of it doesn't and i'm like what are you talking about there's also the part while we're talking about the just scientific uh, illiteracy in this things book. That, yeah, things that David or sorry, things that the author doesn't understand about being in space. There's a part where he says like, "We gotta go to Mach five. Take it up slowly to Mach five. <laughs> okay, listen. Mach 5 is five times the speed of sound, which is a speed that airplanes, we have figured out how to get airplanes to go that fast. Spaceships go about four and a half to five times faster than that. We don't need to take it up to Mach 5. We should have been past Mach 5. No, they're in the slow lane. Don't worry about it. They'll get there when they get there. It's fine. My favorite addition to the ship was the long distance sound emitter that could pick up sounds from great distances away in space. In where, space. <laughs> which is a vacuum in which that doesn't sound work. cannot travel. <laughs> I'm like picturing it like... Um, also, how can an emitter pick up sounds? <laughs> I'm picturing it like a, one of the extendo ears in Harry Potter. So it actually just like <laughs> telescopes out to the place where there is sound and does it that way. That must be it. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we get, oh, I should mention, we get at this point our second photo in this book. We got a photo of a rocket ship oh, when the rocket yeah. ship launched off. And we get what yeah. appears to be a picture of the Death Star from Star Wars, except with the divot, like, photoshopped out of it at this point. Yeah, which is like, does does George Lucas know about this? Because I paid money for this book, and that seems like some sort of right. infringement on his property. Right. Now, <laughs> I did I look. It's Disney's I, property now. I couldn't <laughs> find the exact, like, image of the Death Star that this was shopped from, so it might just be, like, a similar idea that someone did that he put in here, but... I, mm. Yeah, I can't, I'm not sure. It looks exactly like the Death Star, but I can't find, like, the actual, like, screen grab that it was pulled from, if that makes uh, sense. yeah. The reverse um, image search. Yeah, yeah. So, alien ship. It looks like the Death Star, but no divot. And <laughs> they hail the ship with English. And, hey, what a nice surprise. The aliens speak English. And they are there <laughs> to trade peacefully and they don't want to frighten them because they look so, so scary, but they would like to meet if everybody's cool with that. And the thing that blows my mind is this Admiral just goes along with it. He's like, mm, yes, yes, that sounds good. Come on over like, for yes, the weirdest dinner cool. party anyone's ever hosted in the world of dinner parties. <laughs> also, uh, the Admiral asks, <laughs> this is my favorite quote from this book because <laughs> it's so insane. The Admiral asks, like, oh, what do we call you? To which the alien leader replies, not an answer to that question, but my ship is called, in your language, the Galumpa, which means, in your language, the Star Lion. Like, no, if it's in your language, mean? it's in your language. What are you talking about? That's like if I was like, my hat is called... In your language, sombrero, which in your language means hat. Like, no, it's two <laughs> different languages. But then it goes on to say, so, which means in your language, the star lion or star king of the beast. <laughs> which is it? Which, here's the thing. This would have actually worked. Here's how he should have said this. My ship is called, in our language, the Galumpa, which means in your language... The star king of the beast. Or I guess you could say star lion. Because, like, king of the beast is lion to us. But, like, obviously right. they don't have lions. So, like, it could have made some sort of sense. But it just didn't. It, <laughs> it was... Mm. So, anyway. They meet the aliens from the star lion. They bring them over for... Yeah, they bring them to their ship first, right? Uh, they bring... Yeah, they bring the aliens over. Yeah. So they bring them to their ship, and they present them with a delectable feast. Uh, <laughs> just the whitest they, they food. They describe mashed potatoes in the grossest No, way they say it's a baked potato. Heard. They say it's a baked potato. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. They describe baked potatoes in the grossest way I've ever heard. Where did I? Yes. Hold on. I have to scroll. Oh, we call this a baked potato. We stir it up into a soft pudding, and then we add butter and salt. Like, no, first off, Which, what you're describing is mashed potatoes. That's mashed potatoes yeah. is what you're talking about. But please do not describe my mashed potatoes as a soft pudding. Why did you do this? But 
also, you said it's a baked potato. That's not what a baked potato is. <laughs> and then a series of wonderful misspellings where he just goes all in. Um, they are talking about something sweet on the table. He says, this is what we call a desert on Earth. We usually eat our desert after we eat our main meal. This That particularly desert is called chocolate ice cream. Yeah, so we get this whole scene and we get a bunch of info dump about how um, the aliens have been watching our communications for the last 50 years. and Everyone's okay with this. And everyone's okay with this. Cool. This is the thing. I'm very much of the, like, mind that if there are aliens out there, we should try to be chill with them. Like, we should try to be cool about it. Like, yeah. let's not attack them instantly. But even for me, an alien pacifist, this was throwing up so many red flags. I was like, you guys, these aliens are going to kill us all. Like, they are going to kill us. You need to stop. They've They're- been studying our weaknesses since uh, 1996. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Wait, can I do math? 90, 98, I think, probably. 1998, yeah. 2048, yeah. 1998. But also, at one point, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll trade all this stuff with you. We'll do whatever. And the human admiral is like, oh, could we, like, um, go ahead and open up, like, video communications with your ship so we could, like, see what's going on in your ship and on your home planet? And Alien is, like, real sketchy about it. And it's like, uh, no, I don't think so, because, like, viruses? Like, Hold up. Yeah. <laughs> so you're worried? You're worried about, like, computer viruses from this, like, way less advanced civilization. Which, fair, I would too. But you're not worried about, like, actual physical illnesses, like viruses, that you could pick up from these strange people. Like, no, I'm, I'm thinking that's a lie, my friend. from smallpox? I just, I cannot believe that they have... And, and they, like, eat all of the food, and they, like, are perfectly adapted yeah, to everything. I'm like, there's no way that you're perfectly adapted to every aspect of humanity, except maybe video chatting? Like, nah. <laughs> nah, fam. Y'all trying Tried to hide safe. something. I thought they were going to have, like, a zoo. Of, like, uh, they the truffle, did, though. Truffle, ugh, I can never say that right. They had a zoo. They did. But, like, of dead people. They didn't have, like, oh, a but zoo they of had... people, like the truffle magorians. No, these were living people, I thought. Really? I thought they were dead. I'm pretty sure they're alive, because this was going to be the point that I brought up. So, okay, so. Oh, my God. May, I mean, maybe they're dead. It's very unclear. Okay, let's, let's. So they go they over to, to the, the alien ship. Uh, the, the star lion, yes, in your language. Uh, <laughs> and they go for a tour. And it says that they have, like, a museum of aliens so they uh, let's try to okay so it was the museum that they had it was as big as a four-story building each exhibit that had that they had of different alien races was set up in its own room they had hundreds of different alien exhibits they had aliens from all over the universe there were some very odd looking aliens and some pretty scary looking characters and then it goes on so then okay they walked to the next exhibit it was their antisocial friends. They were talking about the Archons, and in the room next to the Archons was the Thracians. Archons were humanoid, blah, 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 blah. I'm trying to see if it ever actually says if they're alive or dead. Because I assumed they were alive, but maybe they are just stuffed mm. aliens. Either way, Not that's like very concerning. That's very concerning, oh, yeah. though. Either way. That they had to have killed a lot of This should have been aliens. a red flag. Either they have kidnapped 
aliens from their home worlds and are keeping them in cages or they have stuffed aliens in their ship that they're exhibiting. <laughs> like either way, that's fucked up. Like man. hunting trophies. Like, this yeah. is not good. And also their whole thing. They're like, we just want to trade. We just want to trade. We just want to colonize. I mean, trade. We just want to be colonizers of, I'm like, okay, y'all, I'm very concerned that this author is cool with this. Like, no, this isn't good. This is bad. This is not okay. They literally, so the deal with these aliens, the good aliens, the Paulines, is that they go around to other cultures and trade shit with them, but also colonize them and also maybe kidnap them or kill them and keep them as exhibits in their, like, this is very 1800s Europe, guys. Like, this isn't good. It's all very unclear. Yeah. Um... (laughs) So they just want to take friendly. all the good from these planets and then destroy the rest. I guess. Like, I was like, this is, it's very concerning. The Palines are the so good, good ones. And it's the Thracians and the, I just said it, the Thracians and the other dudes, the Archons, Archons. who are evil. And we know they're evil because they were our size, but scary looking. In this case, that means they're humanoid, but one of the species has dog teeth and one of them kind of looks like a snake. So okay. They said the Archons look like they were solid muscle, but he spelled it M U S S E L. Yes. Which which was made hysterical. Me laugh. <laughs> look out red lobster. Archons on Archons. The That's the real problem is franchise infringement. <laughs> so they they talk about their interaction with the Archons. I think it's the Archons is the first ones that they interact with. They're like, yes. yeah, we went to their planet and we tried to trade them stuff, but they like attacked us. And I've, then we just blew up a couple of their ships and they're still kind of mad about it. Just I don't know. Just a couple of their ships. They're, they're Weird, inferior huh? ships. I don't know why they're so mad. And also <laughs> we have one of them either captive or stuffed in our museum. Like you clearly... <laughs> You clearly didn't just leave like you said you would because you have one of them either alive or dead in your museum. So at some point you got access to a dead archon. That's so no, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you just left. You didn't. You didn't. This is exactly like that story from a couple months ago about that Christian missionary who got killed by the uncontacted tribe because he tried to contact them. Like, Yes. No, stop bothering them. <laughs> this is just like that, except very stupid. So maybe maybe the Paulines have good intentions, but they very clearly have a uh, colonialist mindset. Like, yes. So cool. Anyway, they go on this ghastly tour of <laughs> aliens that the Pauline have kidnapped or killed and stuffed uh and then they everybody goes back to their ships and then in like the last five ten pages of this book the archons show up and they have a little space fight and the pauline ship gets like totally wasted but the uh lunar base is like out of range at first but then the archons get distracted and attack the lunar base and the lunar base laser blasts them into death and gets no injuries. And also, none of this had anything to do with our main character. Nope. No, David disappears for like the last 20, 30 pages of this book. It's bizarre. Well, he might disappear or he might be merged with the narrator because... 
Although it switches the- to first person. <laughs> The tense. So sometimes it's first person even earlier in this book. Mainly it's third. At one point it is in second person. And I had to read it a couple times to make sure that it wasn't just like they forgot quotation marks. But there was a sentence that was not a quote from someone but was directed at you. And I'm like, who? Me? The reader? I need to get into yellow? Like code yellow? Okay. (laughs) But then in this last bit, it's pretty much entirely first person. So maybe it's, bizarre. It, it's David. I don't know. I can't. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's some other person. Who knows? Who can tell? I thought he was just like was so consumed in the admiral's character that he just became the admiral. The author did and was talking maybe to us the admiral. And but and like, a lot of the times know. it wasn't even like I did this. I did that. It was very much like first we. person plural. It was a collective. It was like yeah. It was like we ran to our battle stations and we fired on them and we did this and I'm like who and this is our thing yeah yeah I was was, don't let me in with you yeah I'm not involved (laughs) (laughs) um and then we get the let me get to it the final line of this book which is let me just do the last paragraph Well, it's sort of a paragraph. It's not... This is the other thing. There are chapter breaks and paragraph breaks where there should not be. Like, every chapter break is in the middle of a conversation. And paragraph breaks are just kind of like, I guess, when he felt like it. I don't know. But here's the last bit of this book. The, uh... This is the... Admiral talking, I think. Yes. Admiral Benson, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Actually, let me just go to the, the... part that's from the alien so the admiral says like oh we hope that we can be good friends and the alien responds i know we will be it's in the stars admiral and don't worry we will take care of that speed problem with your spacecrafts our worlds that day oh i guess this part isn't a quote because this doesn't make sense as a quote our worlds that day joined into a friendship that was pure gold and earth moved into a new age when space travel launches us into the Age of Aquarius, which that part's in quotes, so I guess he does know where that button is. The that's the title of the book. Yeah. So let's talk oh. about that for a second. Can we talk about the, the Age of Aquarius thing for a second? Go for it. Yeah. So the Age of Aquarius, right? That's like, so essentially what ages are is like when the earth moves into a new equinox phase, I guess. So like the earth's on its axis, right? And the axis is tilted and that's why we have seasons. We all learned this back in like fourth grade, right? (laughs) So it spins around its axis, but the axis also like slowly is turning and that takes like several, several thousand years. But Mm -hmm. each time as the axis turns, that means that the constellations are oriented slightly differently so whichever constellation is the constellation that is you know in the right spot during the equinox is what age we're in and that changes every 2000 years or so the problem with this (laughs) is that we might already be in the age of aquarius no one can really agree (laughs) we might be in the age of pisces we might be in the age of aquarius might have already switched we don't know some people said it switched in like the 1800s some people say it's not going to switch until like uh, 2300 um not really clear so already like uh, i guess 
you can kind of be like, oh, now we're in the age of Aquarius in, you know, the next 50 years. Like, I guess that kind of tracks. But you need to explain Mm -hmm. it more because, like, a lot of people who might read this book would be most familiar with like the age of Aquarius thing from the movie or the musical and the movie hair where they're like, now is when the age of Aquarius starts. And that was in the sixties. So like people would probably be like, excuse you, like didn't the age of Aquarius already start? I'm very confused because I don't put a lot of stock in crazy astrology bullshit. (laughs) So that's already an issue. Also, I will say, I think that the idea of like, oh, the age of Aquarius being space travel is like a pretty good solid like thing to kind of build around because it does have a lot to do with like technology like supposedly Aquarius is associated with technology and like human exploration and stuff like that so it does make a lot of sense to be Uh like hey the age of Aquarius is going to be space travel like that's cool but like you have Uh to tell us that you can't just say it at the last second (laughs) and think that we're all going to get what you mean like because this means nothing. I could have. It could have just ended with space travel launches us into the age of Pepsi. Space travel launches us into the age of whiteboard. Like just whatever thing that you're looking at. It just doesn't matter because you didn't explain anything. It's the title of your book. You should have explained it. It should have meant something so that when you did this title drop, exactly. literally anyone would have cared. And really, it's not really... The age of Aquarius is the dawning of the age of Aquarius, right? Well, I mean, like, once you get into the age of Aquarius, the age of Aquarius is, like, the next 2,000 years or whatever. So you would be in the age of Aquarius. I mean, it does have to dawn at some point, I suppose. But, you know, none of it matters. It's irrelevant. It's nonsense science from, you know... (laughs) 2,500 years ago when we didn't understand what germs were. So like none of it actually matters. But if you're going (laughs) to push the astrology angle, like you need to explain it. Very true. Well, I mean, there were a few, like he did say that the Paulines came from Scorpio. Yes. I don't know. I, I think probably since he's into astrology, there's some astrological significance to the fact that these aliens came from Scorpio, the Scorpio constellation. Probably. But I'm not deep enough into astrology to like make those connections. So. And I don't want to read further to find out. So. Right. Anyway. <laughs> it was a very stupid book. It was very stupid. It was poorly written. Ugh, it was a mess. I honestly, okay. And I guess this is getting into silver lining, right? I don't have one. I don't like, Usually I'd be like, read it because it's funny. Like Antigua, I was like, it taught me things because I had to go look at them. I had to like fact check. I had to fact Uh check for this too, but none of it was anything interesting. None of it was something I cared about. I didn't learn what the size of a fox was (laughs) and whether or not it could fight a gorilla. Uh, I just learned what, you know, more about the age of Aquarius. And now I'm going to have to go listen to the stupid hair song, which I don't even like that musical. So nothing. I've got nothing. This book was trash. I uh, learned that there's a new and terrible way to write dialogue in a book, which is that um, it all happens in one paragraph, but you denote who's speaking by putting their name in parentheses, either before or after. And also only sometimes. Yep. (laughs) Like, did he write this as like a script first? Because maybe. Maybe. That was my other thought. Because honestly, why wouldn't he format it like a script right well because he knows that books don't go that way mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
He hasn't actually read a book, but he knows they don't go that way. <laughs> it was just, it was really bad. It was not good. It was and atrocious. The one thing I will say is that it wasn't explicitly, no, it was pretty sexist with all of the sexy stuff, but it wasn't like, I guess I can say it wasn't homophobic. <laughs> There was no blatant homophobia. Yet. There was, right, yet. I mean, maybe. There was, like, some <laughs> stuff that I would deem sexist, and there was some stuff that I would deem racist, although not quite as blatant as some of the other ones that we've read. But there wasn't any blatant homophobia, so that'll be my silver lining, I guess. Could have been. There you go. <laughs> there, It was ripe for it, but no. <laughs> he managed not to hit that particular mark. Oh, my <laughs> well, did God. you relate okay. to any characters then? No, none of them were characters. <laughs> none, of true. Them, none of them were anything. They were just people. I Probably the fucking evil aliens, because I wanted to blow them all up, too. The archons? Like, yeah. Like, I yeah. don't think they did anything wrong. They were just living their lives in some crazy... Hashtag the archons Paulines did showed nothing up. wrong. Archons did nothing wrong. The Paulines, like, came and fucked up their shit and maybe kidnapped one of them. At least killed one of them. Possibly. and At least one. At least one. And then they, like, tried to, you know, follow them and deal with that. I don't know, get back the corpse of their dead friend, I guess, and who had been desecrated <laughs> by the Paulines and kept in a museum. Like, so the Archons, that's who I related to the most. How about you? Oh, I, same exact answer. Literally no one, but if I had to think about it, the Archons. <laughs> or maybe the Thracians, the other evil aliens who, like, weren't really in this book, but we're oh, like, oh, okay, they're yeah. friends with the Archons? Because, yeah, I sympathize with the Archons, but I also don't have the energy to, like, come deal with this shit. So, like, I guess I'll just stay wherever they were. Yeah. I'll back them up on their home turf, but I'm not going to go out Paline right. hunting. Right. <laughs> Those Palines are bad news. Yeah. I don't want them to capture me. Oh, man. Uh, uh, what would you rather have been reading uh, of many... Besides anything else, um, the this, the book that this reminded me of the most, um, it wasn't even a book that I particularly enjoyed a ton when I read it, but I would still rather read that than this, mm-hmm. uh, was Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson, which is a book about um, a catastrophic event happens that basically means Earth is going to die. And so mm-hmm. it is a very hard science fiction account of how the human race um, decides to continue on and like some of them go into space and other people stay on earth and trying to maintain their lives that way. But most of the story follows the people that do go up into space and they live on a space station and kind of the hardships of trying to exist for possibly millennia up in space. And yeah, Hmm. It's, not, again, not my favorite book, but I would rather read that than this. And if you're into hard science fiction and that kind of storyline, then I would definitely recommend it. It's got a lot of really good ratings and stuff. I just, it was not, hard science fiction is not my cup of tea, so. Yeah. And it's a chunkster. It's like seven or 800 pages, I think. It's humongous. <laughs> my pick this week, um, I don't think I've plugged this author before, but if I have, I'm fine with plugging her again because she's great. And also, honestly, probably most of you have heard of her. Um, the Xenogenesis Trilogy by Octavia Butler, mm. um, which does share some similarities in this with this in that it is about alien contact with the, with the humans and kind of the same sort of vibe of like aliens 
who are just like going around and trying to do their best and, you know, aren't meaning any harm, but are doing stuff that causes like serious psychological harm to these humans because essentially because they didn't consent to it. Which uh, the story is about this woman who survives a nuclear apocalypse and by being abducted by aliens um, that are a species that have three sexes and need like other species genetics in order to kind of like that's how they continue their like that's their whole deal is that they like incorporate other species genetics into their uh, species. So... Oh, cool. It's three books long, and it's really good, and it's really interesting, and everything Octavia Butler does, everything that I've read anyway, I haven't read every single thing by her, but um, she's a fantastic sci-fi writer. Um, It actually came from a short story that she wrote called Blood Child, which, like, won a whole bunch of awards and was really well acclaimed, and then, you know, she went Hmm. and wrote this kind of spinoff of um, that short story, and it you know became this trilogy and it's great and I actually have not read it in a while so I would like to reread that especially to cleanse myself of the sin that was this book <laughs> yeah I'll have to read that I have not read any Octavia yeah. Butler she's great which I feel I like recommend. I definitely should yeah mm-hmm. um cool so that's pretty much it for this Thanks shit God. right <laughs> <laughs> all right so um I know you guys out there are just waiting with bated breath for what our next challenge to each other is going to be, but uh, we're not doing one again next fortnight. Um, instead, we are <laughs> We've just given a, up on that aspect know, of our just, podcast. That's like the <laughs> fundamental like thing about our podcast, and we haven't done it since November, I think. Okay, so... It's fine. We're going to uh, read another listener slash other podcaster suggestion. Um, Kate from Pups mm-hmm. and Pop Culture suggested that we read Time Traveler's Wife a while ago, and we weren't sure if we would be able to fit it in because it is a little bit over our um, requirement for length because it's a little bit on the longer side. But because we read Mm -hmm. this short one, we have time to read that long one next. So that's going to be our next episode is going to be Time Traveler's Wife by somebody probably wrote it. Um, Audrey Neff. I don't know how to pronounce her name. So you do it. You say it. Great. Let me look it up first. Audrey, no, oh, gosh, Niffenager, got her. It's wrong. Could have been worse though. Uh, how to pronounce that name in German? Is it German? Maybe. Niffenager. Niffenager. I like that. Niffenager. Niffenager. Audrey Niffenager. Maybe. I don't know. Tell us, guys. Tell us how you pronounce her name. I'm sorry. If you're listening to this, Audrey, I'm it's, sorry. It's wrong. We know it's we wrong. Tried. We tried. We can't. Um, so that's what we're doing next. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. If you would like to tweet at us to let us know how to pronounce an author's last name, or if you have any book suggestions of your own of books that you think we would hate, or that you think that we would think we would hate, but might actually end up loving... Um, let us know. Tweet at us <laughs> at HateReadCast on Twitter or email us HateReadCast at gmail.com. Uh, as always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. 
Um, also, if you have not yet followed oh, yeah. us, um, please do so on whatever podcasting aggregator you use. If it is iTunes, we would really appreciate a five-star review. In the words of Dale M. Courtney, I was just sitting here looking out my dining room window in unbelief. <laughs> weren't we all, Courtney? Weren't we all? In unbelief. Oh, man. Oh, God. I, and I'm getting them confused again. Which one's the fake one? Astrology, astronomy. Astrology. Okay, astrology thing. Where, um, are you sure? I thought it was the other way around. Maybe I'm wrong, though. I'm probably wrong. I'm pretty sure astrology is the fake one and astronomy is the real one. Okay, yes. I took okay. an yes. astronomy yes. class. Yes, yes, yes. So you are you are correct, and I am a liar and a fool. Um, okay, so 